We have been in a series called Escaping the Cave. I love this series so much because we've talked about a guy named Elijah throughout the entire series. Elijah is an incredible prophet. He is a man of God, but he finds himself in a dark place. In this dark place, he is dealing with suicidal thoughts. He's depressed, and now he's just dealt with some disappointment that he's encountered. And so over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've been in 1 Kings chapter 19 talking about Elijah, and we talked about how to deal with suicidal thoughts and how to overcome exhaustion. And last week was all on dealing with disappointment. Elijah comes to God and he says, God, I've been faithful, I've served you, but these people you've called me to serve, they're terrible. They're trying to kill me and I've just been nothing but faithful. And the Lord ends that conversation by giving him a new assignment. And this new assignment is that he's going to go anoint somebody else. Sometimes one of the best ways that you can get out of the dark place you're in is to figure out what God has for you next and start walking. You may not feel like walking. You may not feel like getting out of the dark place you're in. But in order to get out, you got to move forward. Come on, somebody. You know, you got to put some feet to it and take those next steps. And so... Now we get to the end of our text in 1 Kings chapter 19 where Elijah is doing just that. He's taken that next step. He's going to exit the cave. He's going to get out of the place that he's in. And so if you're ready, 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 19, it says this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then went away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I've done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. And he passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. I want to talk to you today around the topic of coming out of the cave. Dealing with your past and moving forward. I know that there are a lot of people in this room today who probably have a past that you're not too proud of. You might not want to be like, yo, that's me, right? (laughs) But come on, how many of you know the worst kind of dirty laundry is the one that's aired? You know, like, it's, you've done some things in your life, you've experienced some things, and And you try and get over it. You try and move forward. You you try and walk out of that dark place or that dark season you were in. But but for some reason, you just kind of seem to gravitate back there. And no matter how much you do or how many times you try and move forward, you just kind of seem to not be able to outrun the past that you had at some point. I want to talk to you today about leaving those dark places and how we get out of it. And I think there's some things in this text that will help you and I do it. And the first thing that you, need, you and I can take note of 
is that if we want to get rid of our past, if we want to escape the cave, we have to leave the known and the comfortable. We have to leave what's known and comfortable. See, Elisha is plowing in a field. And what we find out about him is that he is not just plowing in the field, which if you're not familiar with how this would work, there was a little seat for him. But he had 12, um, there were 12 teams of oxen. And with these oxen, Elijah wasn't on the first team. He's not number one. He's at the very end, which means he's not doing much work except making sure that the last oxen does what he's supposed to do. Because the person who's leading the pack, that's, that's oxen number one, right? In the first team of oxen. But Elijah's viewpoint, right? You thought you had a bad job, but this is what... <laughs> Elijah does nothing, or Elisha. I'm going to get that wrong a lot, y'all. I'm just going to be, be very clear. Elisha's job is to stare at oxen rears for his entire day. <laughs> and they only make a couple turns. They're plowing a field, and he's looking at them. And day in and day out, this is his life. He's watching them. And day in and day out, there's, they're plowing. And day in and day out, he probably feels like his life doesn't have a whole lot of purpose or a whole lot of meaning. He just kind of feels like he's stuck doing the same thing every single day. You ever been there? Yeah. Like where your job is just that. It's a job. Like it's a paycheck that you just do. God created you for more than that. God created you for more than just to experience the mundane and to be frustrated with the situation you find yourself in. But sometimes you and I just settle for the mundane because we don't actually believe we could be a part of the miraculous. So he's just sitting there and he's doing his job. And then a guy comes along by the name of Elijah. And Elijah sees something in Elisha that he doesn't see in himself. Sometimes the hardest part about giftedness is that when you're gifted, you can't see it, but other people can. So God has called Elijah to come anoint Elisha, and he comes over, and this is the move. He takes his cloak off, and he throws it around him, and he walks off. There's no conversation. That's the weirdest job interview ever. But in that day and age, they knew exactly what it meant. See, when a prophet comes and he throws his cloak around you, it's actually a a sacred invitation for you to follow. It's actually one of those things where you can choose whether or not you want to go, but what the prophet is doing is the prophet is saying, I see potential in you. I see God's calling on your life. I see that there is an anointing. There's something unique and special that God wants to communicate through you, and you might not see it yet, but I'm going to speak into the things that you can't see. That's a good leader. That's what Elijah does for Elisha. But in order for Elijah, to experience all that God has for him, he's got to leave the comfortable and the known. He's got to leave what his, his view of oxen rears. And this is not the only time that we see God call somebody out of what is known to them. In the New Testament, we see Jesus recruits a whole bunch of guys who were fishermen. And he invites them into this really cool saying of, I'll teach you how to be fisher of men. But these guys are leaving their jobs. 
They're leaving their livelihood. They're leaving, some of them are leaving their families behind in order to pursue this thing. And it's uncomfortable. But what I've learned in my life is that God cares very little about my comfort. I care a whole lot about my comfort. Let me tell you, the comfort that I care about the most, um, my pillow. I, I, guys, I have this pillow, and man, I love Tori, my wife, she's on the front row. She's just shaking her head because she knows my pillow goes everywhere with me. I mean, it's been to Thailand. It has been, it's been to every state possible. Like, I mean, I just take, because here's what, here, you, you may not know this, but not all hotel pillows are created equal. They're not. They're not. I know exactly what I'm getting into when I lay my head down at night with my pillow. There's a particular way I like it. I love my comfort, but I don't just love the comfort of my pillow. There's a perfect combination between my pillow and my bed. I love my bed so much. I, I, this past month, uh, we're now in May, which is crazy. The month has flown by, but I traveled a lot during the month of April, and my wife and I were talking the other day. She says, I do this thing. Every time I come home, I get in my bed, and I go, oh. Like you just, you know what I'm saying? Like you know when you've been, you've been out of town and then you get home to your bed. If some of y'all, some, some of you don't know this, you need to quit buying iPhones. You need to invest into a bed. Your sleep is so important. It's one of the best financial decisions you can make. Spend two grand on technology, but you ain't invested into the thing you sleep on eight hours a day. Come on now. We care a lot about our comfort. But when we enter into a relationship with God, the reason why God is not concerned with our comfort is because what he's really concerned about is our calling and our character. And sometimes in order for us to experience all that God has, it requires us to get uncomfortable. When God begins to deal with some character issues you have, it's not going to be comfortable. But God's not asking for your comfort level at the beginning of this. He's asking for your heart. And as followers of Jesus, what Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, is that we walk by faith and not by sight. When I walk by sight, it's comfortable because I can see every step in front of me. I know exactly where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. But God's call is into the unknown. Oh, I about broke into some frozen. <laughs> into the unknown! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Y'all weren't ready. Y'all weren't ready. So, now I got to keep going. God calls us into the unknown. He calls us into things that, that aren't comfortable. They're not things that, that we've ever experienced before, but that's where faith comes into play. In order for Elisha to experience everything that God has for him, he's got to leave the comfortable. He's got to leave the known. For some of you, that means that you're going to have to be willing to walk away from some friendships and some relationships. For some of you, you've grown too comfortable in your job. And comfort is not wrong unless your comfort is actually hope and trust in yourself and in your own ability. That's oftentimes why God wants to get us uncomfortable. It's because comfort, like in a job, normally comfort is, I know I'm going to get paid. I know that 
I'm going to work a certain amount of hours. This is the expectations they have for me. I don't need to really trust God as my provider because I know what I'm doing. So God may call you into uncomfortable seasons. God may call some of you into uncomfortable situations to write checks that you didn't think you could. It's uncomfortable. But that's really what faith looks like. So verse 21, we keep reading and Elisha runs to Elijah and he says, hey, before I go, I got to go say bye to mom and dad. Because you don't leave town without saying bye to your mother. So he's saying, I got to go. But this is what it says in verse 21. He says, I'm going to go back. But Elijah says, hey, remember when you go back, the things I've done to you, not for you, to you. I threw a cloak around you. I'm calling out something in you. I see something in you that you don't see in yourself. So go back home real quick, but don't forget what just happened. And then it says this in verse 21. So Elisha returned to his oxen and he slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire and roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant. When we read that text, what Elisha said he was going to do was he was going to go back and he was going to tell mom and dad he was leaving. Now, he may have done that, but that's not what Scripture tells us he did. What Scripture says he did, after the words of Elijah, to remember what I've done to you, he says that he goes back and he kills off all of the oxen. He said, that seems weird. But here's what I've learned. If you really want to escape the cave... If you really want to get out of that dark place to get past your past, you have to kill off the option of going back. You have to kill off the option of going back. If you and I don't deal with our past and kill it, we will gravitate back towards it when things get difficult. This is not the only time we see this. If you want a perfect example of that, go to Peter in John chapter 18. When Peter makes his mistake... When Peter denies Jesus, he feels like he's messed up and he throws in the towel. Where does Jesus find him? Back on the boat fishing. What happened? He went back to his old way of living. Because if you don't kill, with, kill your past, if you don't deal with that stuff, at some point you're going to realize that things got a little bit difficult, things were hard, and you go back to what's natural. You go back to what's comfortable, what's familiar unless you kill off the option of going back. I gave my life to Jesus um, August 1st of 2011. I have the opportunity coming up in August to celebrate 10 years of knowing Jesus. Come on. Come on. I tell you, it's been a crazy 10 years. Um, but when I first gave my life to Jesus, here was the, I had to kill off a lot of things. Because pre-Jesus, I was a drug dealer. Pre-Jesus, I was addicted to drugs. And if I didn't deal with some of the friendships, some of the relationships, and some of the habits that I had, if I didn't kill those things off, I would have gone right back to it over a period of time. Yeah. There's been times, even now, like, I'm not telling you that you're ever going to be free from the enemy throwing your past in your face. Right. In 10 years, I ain't, ain't shook that yet. I think the, the enemy's crafty like that because his goal is to remind you, you of who you used to be and convince you that you can't be who God called you to be. 
So sometimes, uh, there was a season uh, a few years ago where uh, Tori and I, we were like broke, broke. You ever been there? Like, you, you're not poor, you po. You can't even afford the last two letters. We were po. And I remember thinking back, I was like, man, I had so much more money when I was a drug dealer. But what, God, what, what the enemy wants you to do is go back to those old ways of living. And you got to kill off your ability to go back. There's some things in your life that probably need to die. There's some things in your life that you can't take with you to go where God is calling you. It reminds me of a story of um, a guy who, he lived in an impoverished country and um, he didn't have a whole lot of possessions. What he had was a bag of rice that he wore around his neck every day. And he wore this bag of rice around his neck to remind him that he would have food on his table for that evening. It's just a little reminder, but it was really, it was all he had. But one day he hears that the king is going to roll into town, and he's super excited. It's been a long time since the people of this town have seen the king. So he goes into the streets where the king is going to be, and when he's around a large group of people, he begins to clench tightly to his most treasured possession, a bag of rice. He's holding on to this thing so tightly because to him it's all that he has. And as the king passes by him, he stops for a second. He sees this man who has a clenched fist and he says, what is that? And the man says, this is my dearest possession. It's really all that I have. And the king asks, can I have it? And the man's taken back for a second because he's thinking to himself, this king rode in on a chariot made of gold, and he probably has more food on his table than anyone could imagine. How in the world could someone who has access to so much ask me for something that seems so little and insignificant? And so what the man does is he opens his bag, and he pulls out three grains of rice, and he hands it to the king. He closes his bag up. He goes home. He he doesn't want to see the king anymore. He's angry. And when he gets to his house... He's still having the conversation. How could he ask me for that? What is he thinking? And when he opens his bag, he realizes that when he placed the three grains of rice into the king's hand, one of the king's servants replaced the three grains of rice with three gold coins. And he said to himself, if I would have only known, I would have given him everything. I wonder how many of us at the end of our life are going to stand before God and, and kind of give an account for those things that we held on to rather than let go of. And we would step back and say, if I only knew, I would have given him everything. See, what I didn't know when I first gave my life to Jesus and first had to give up some things, when I first had to give up some friendships, I'll be honest with you, it was a tough season. Like, it was, a, it was hard in my life But truthfully, if you look in Scripture, there is nowhere where Jesus promised for this thing to be easy. He says the exact opposite. He looks at the disciples and he says, hey, if the world hated me, they'll hate you too. But good news, (laughs) take heart because I've overcome the world. That's not comforting. Jesus looks at the disciples and says, if you really want to follow me, pick up your cross daily. A cross is heavy. Sometimes following Jesus is difficult. 
what I learned is that when God asked me to get rid of something, it's because he has something so much better in store. That's the beauty of this whole thing. Is you're not just letting go of something, you're walking into something greater. It's the same for Elisha. As he kills off the oxen, he removes his opportunity to go back. He's dealing with what he has in the past so that there's no option for him to go back to that old way of living. And so you may be wondering, if you've been around Propel Church, you know that on a baptism weekend, I always talk about baptism. You're like, Pastor, how are we going to tie these two things together? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what baptism is. Baptism is symbolic of our old life being removed and our new life beginning. Did you notice after he kills the oxen, he then goes to be his assistant? He deals with the old and walks into the new. That's the picture that we get with baptism. The beauty of baptism is that first and foremost, it's a symbol. And so there are some uh, waves or forms of theology that teach that you need to be baptized to be saved. That's not biblical. The only thing you need to be saved is Jesus. If you add anything to that, it's not good news anymore. Because then it's Jesus plus, like if I need to be baptized in order to be saved, it's Jesus plus my human effort, that's what gets me saved. That doesn't, that's not how that works. It's not Jesus plus Bible reading. It's not Jesus plus tithing. It's not Jesus plus anything. Now, Jesus does want you to do those things. But church attendance, tithing, serving, being involved in a group, getting baptized, none of those things save you, but I do believe they play a role in how you experience heaven on earth. Because oftentimes what we do is we ask God to bless next without obedience now. We're like, God, I want you to bless what I've got coming on down the road. I want you to bless this next step or this new season. And he's going, are you obedient with what I'm asking you to do in this moment? So where baptism comes into play is it's symbolic of you and I. When we go under the water, our old life is washed away. And when we're raised, we are raised to new life with him. That's what Romans 6 verse 4 says. For we died and we're we're buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. That's the beauty of baptism. The beauty of baptism is that your old life is washed away and that your new life you're now able to walk into. And so for some of you today, because baptism is symbolic, here's, here's a question we get all the time. Well, can I be baptized more than once? Yeah. It just means you were a wet sinner the first time. If baptism is not symbolic, if baptism is what saves you, then, then you'd probably it'd be very theologically complicated to do more than once. But because baptism is symbolic, for some of you, you got baptized at a young age. You got baptized when you were six, seven, eight, nine years old. And you may have done it because in that moment you were 
saying, hey, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. That's great. But later on in life, you realize that you didn't really begin following Jesus until you were in your 20s or later on in life. And what we see in Scripture is that baptism happens after salvation. Baptism is where you throw that stake in the ground to declare before God and before a church family that, hey, I've made this decision to follow Jesus with my life. And so some of you haven't made that decision. You haven't gone public with your faith after you've said yes to Jesus. Today is one of those days where you need to get baptized. For, for others of you, some like common excuses that I hear is, well, my parents sprinkled me as a baby. Now, before I get into this, I don't need an email from your grandparents or your parents. I don't. But when we look in Scripture, we don't see infant baptism anywhere. In fact, if you look back into church history, what you'll find is that infant baptism was done at a period of time where during the Black Plague where babies were dying at a rapid rate in order to give hope. But hope is something we only find in Jesus. So the intention was good, but the methodology was theologically incorrect because what we see is baptism is something where people go public to declare their faith. Your parents can't declare faith for you, but here's what they can do. They can decide to dedicate you to the Lord to say, hey, we want to raise this child up in a godly household, which is what we have going on next weekend. And so today, if you were sprinkled as a baby, but you need to get baptized, you're not standing in contradiction of that decision. You're standing in confirmation of it because your parents were saying, I wanted my kid to grow up and serve and love God. And you're saying, I grew up and I serve and love God. It's not a bad thing. It's confirmation of that decision. Others, other times people go, you know, well, why? Why do I need to get baptized? The safest environment you will ever go public with your faith is in the church. Here, here's why I think baptism is so important. Because if you don't have the ability to express your faith publicly around people who are going to cheer for you, you're going to have a hard time declaring faith publicly with people who just criticize you. Baptism makes a big difference. Having people cheer you on in your faith is important. The third thing I hear from time to time is, well, I'll pray about it. Here's what I know. There's a lot of things you need to pray about. Being obedient to God is not one of them. Delayed obedience is disobedience. And so if you're here today and you haven't been baptized since making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you need to get baptized today. You may say, well, my family's not here. It's recorded. You could text them right now and be like, I think I'm getting baptized. It's on the live stream. Go check it out. <laughs> it's there. But some of you, you, you came prepared today, and others of you didn't. And if you didn't come prepared, here's what I want you to know. We prepare for you. Because one of my responsibilities as a, as a pastor is to 
pre-assess what hurdles you may run into and just deal with those before you ever run into them. So you may feel like getting baptized today, but you're like, I got my good genes on and I can't do that. Here's the good news for you. If you decide to get baptized today, we have a shirt for you. We have shorts for you. There's underwear for you. Ladies, there's sports bras for you. And we got everything you need. There's combs and towels and there's probably other stuff that I'm forgetting. But the reason why we do it is because I would hate for the enemy to rob you of a moment because of a silly excuse. There's some of you today who need to get baptized. And for some of you, it's maybe you did get baptized in the past and it was declaring faith publicly, but you're in a dark place. You're in a dark season. And what you need to do to walk out of that cave is to throw a stake in the ground to let that old life be washed away, to kill the oxen and walk into what's next that God has for you. And so in just a second, I'm going to do a salvation invitation because baptism happens after salvation. But then we're going to stand to our feet and I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you want to get baptized today, I'll count down to three or up to three. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'll count one way. When we get there, you'll dismiss. When you exit your aisle, You'll go out the auditorium doors in the back and our team will be ready to greet you. They'll have shirts and everything available. They'll take you back to change. We'll sing a song and then we'll all come back out and be ready to celebrate baptism with you. But before we do that, one of the most important decisions you could ever make in your life is to to surrender your life to Jesus. See, just like Elijah saw something in Elisha and he threw his cloak around him, The way that God throws his cloak around you is through Jesus. The way he covers you is through that. God uniquely created, wired, and designed every single one of us in this room. There are things that God sees in you that you cannot see in yourself. But in order for you to experience all that God has for you, the first decision you have to make in your life is to surrender it to Jesus. To allow his payment for your sin to be the payment of sin on your life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed across the room today, maybe you're watching online and you realize, hey, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I need to begin one. Would you just indicate that boldly by lifting your hand for a moment saying, hey, that's me. Come on, I see that. Here's what we're gonna do, church. Would you repeat this prayer after me? If you're watching online, repeat this as well. Dear Jesus, today I give you my life. I place my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen.